Valley. Patrick Hines. <laughs> it's never, ever not going to be funny. Is it getting a little like more intense every time I do it? It feels yeah. like I'm, I'm going to get to that like musical theater belt point. <laughs> a mix? Are you going to mix well, yeah, your head voice I and am. your chest voice? That's what I do. Yeah. Girl, we, the, before we get to anything else, we need to talk about one thing. What? Two words. What? I, Tanya. Oh, okay. <laughs> Thought you, you'd never ask. You and your adorable husband saw I, Tanya. My super hot husband, Michael Paul Smith, saw I, Tanya on New Year's Eve. We saw the 4.30 show on oh the my God. side. It was amazing. <laughs> um, it was an empty theater. And then, well, I told... I really updated the Facebook group about this. I was like, you guys, here are the tickets. And then in the comment section, I was like, garbage, just ding, ding, ding. Because it was an empty theater. And then this family with 800 shopping bags sits in the two. There were enough of them to take up two rows. Sat in the two rows in front of us. I was like, it's 4.30 on New Year's Eve. There's nowhere else for you guys to sit. I was so annoyed. And then garbage people in the row behind us. And this bitch kept kicking my chair. I turned around three times. Did you have to say something? The first time, I was so nice about it, you guys. <laughs> I swear. But I I did turn around. I was like, I'm at fucking I, Tanya. It's New Year's Eve. Like, I know. Anu- do I- not kick my chair. <laughs> also, like, what human still does that at the movie theater? Like, who doesn't have that awareness? I know. I know. So I turned around. I was like, oh, hi. Sorry. Can you? See? I just, I, you're like trying to like play dumb which I hate go. doing I it didn't go great. looked through me like I wasn't even there like they were Stepford people <laughs> so then I was like oh don't like I'm gonna get inspired by what I see on the screen exactly. do, do not do that not today not today <laughs> had to turn around again <laughs> a movie is $800 right. Oh, you're cracking me up. We barely even started. It's because you missed me. You missed I know, the it's recording. True. Well, how was the movie? It was great. They Wait, were... Can we cut right to the chase? How was Lavanya? Well, it's Alice and Jenny. She was amazing. She is um, just, I mean, ultimate, like, we still don't have that goddamn bell, but ding, ding, ding. <laughs> she is just awful. Is she wearing the brown coat the whole time? Like, in my mo- in my memory of it, yes. In my memory of it, she has that goddamn Is there parrot. a parakeet? Does she have one? It is like eating her ear wax. It's amazing. Oh my God, really? She At one point, she's like, stop it. Like, as she's trying to, it's amazing, you guys. Please join our Facebook group so you can find the video and we know, can like talk I about know. it all over again. Uh- hey, girl. Hey, girl. What are we talking about today? Oh my God. Resurrect Dead. Like, what is even after the colon? Like, the story of the to- Toy and B tiles or something? It's like, the, I don't know if it's like the legend, the mystery. I think it's the mystery yeah, of the Toy and whatever. B tiles. How much are you, did you love, I love this documentary. I loved it. I just love a documentary about a couple of cute weirdos, like, solving a mystery. You know what? In my notes, uh, the three of them are three heroes. I just call them our boys. Like, yeah, they're and then our boys. boys they have, like, one of them has them. Eddie Vedder hair. One of them's, like, an adorable ginger Weasley. They are like, just, like, such, like, smart curious misfits I relate to them so hard they had to go to the library because it was the 90s the whole thing is adorable I am obsessed with them I think they're great what heroes right I know before we get to the 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 promo the preview whatever have you ever have you seen these Toy and B tiles like throughout the city yes I see them everywhere yeah. yeah yeah I always have yeah they are mysterious markers with bizarre messages isn't that weird that thing in the street that says resurrect dead on planet Jupiter. It's a mystery. It's been put out in the public for 25 years asking to be solved. New York, DC, Boston, the person who made them was a complete mystery. Everybody who researches this seems to just hit a brick wall. So who is placing these tiles all over Philadelphia and all over the world for that matter? It's not a shadow. It's not a phantom. It's not a ghost. Somewhere there's a human being who's behind all of this. I've been looking for this needle in the haystack for years and years and years and years. He's manic when it comes to that stuff. He can't stop thinking it. He can't turn it off. There's just these little clues like dropped around this mystery. You may have information to help solve a 20 plus year old mystery. We're not gonna make this discovery. You know, we're barking up the wrong tree. It's the quagmire. It's like waking up from this dream. He had some trouble with death. What I'm going to do is conduct this paranormal experiment with you. I know some guys that probably know about what you're talking about. 
1985, this really strange broadcast came over his TV. There was a timeline put on this stuff for the first time. All of these things were coming together on this one suspect. They are stationed there still, outside my house, waiting for me. All right, so it starts with news reels that sort of like set the stage for what we're about to see, which is basically like these these like interesting tiles that are found like in crosswalks and highways like throughout cities in the Northeast and, and, and around the world. The plaques were first sighted in the early 1980s. There are 130 known plaques, most in the U.S. Philadelphia, Baltimore, New York, Washington, D.C., Chicago, St. Louis. Plus, they have been spotted in South America. So... We meet at the top of the movie, we meet Justin, who looks like a Weasley. I'm going to say it again, but like not like the hot Weasleys. He looks like the older brother Weasleys. I love you for making a Harry Potter reference. Yeah, totally. So Justin has been following the Toy and Bee tiles for like over a decade. (laughs) You can just tell he's like a nerd for the Toy and Bee tiles. He like wants to make a museum. He sleeps with the Toy and Bee tile pictures above his head and like stacks of the pictures like next to his desk. Here's one that was in New York on uh, Fifth Avenue and West 34th in front of the Empire State Building. This is from December of 1990. Here's one from Maryland and Meridian in Indianapolis. You know, I always had this idea like someday maybe there could be a museum and I could get each one of these photos in a little frame or something. Yeah, he first he first sees a tile in Philly in 1994. Yes. It said the following. Toy and B spelled T-O-Y-N-B-E-E, all one word. Toy and B idea in movie 2001. Resurrect dead on planet Jupiter. Sounds kind of <laughs> ominous. <laughs> I started really thinking, that's weird. What's that all about? Why was it there? What did it mean? Who made it? And he gets a job as a courier, and that's how he starts to see them like all over the city. I would walk over the tiles over and over and over and over again. So I'd think about them every single day. And, you know, I would just constantly think, like, I wonder how long they've been there. I wonder what they mean. So I started following them when I'd see them around downtown. I would make sure to take note of them, and I started to write down where they were all at. I had a little notebook I'd take around. And Justin, you can tell right away, is like a super smart guy. You know, he's very curious. And he um, just, like, takes an interest in these tiles and decides he wants to, like, look, he wants to figure out who put them, why are they there, who put them there. Yeah, instead of, like, a lot of people would walk by and be like, Toy and B movie, too. Like, what? Whatever. Right. <laughs> but Justin sees it, and it just sparks something in him. And you're immediately like... I like you, Justin. Yeah, he becomes obsessed, and I gotta just say that we like get a peek inside of his bedroom, and what am I gonna say? Bless this mess. <laughs> it's so like, oh, I'm glad we don't linger in that bedroom too long. It looks very much like a disgusting bedroom of a 17 year old boy, which I was at one point. And I know how gross that is. I got the uh, the Twin B idea flyer up there at all times, you know. <laughs> I see it every night when I go to sleep, and I also keep these things next to my bed. But I have, like, a, an affection for Justin and his two friends. I just, like, Justin, like, went through a lot when he was younger. So yes. it's like, you know what? Justin is interested in this thing, and he's going to research it. Do you, girl? Totally. Research the shit out of these creepy, weird <laughs> tiles, and I am along for this ride. All right, so Jillian, explain a little bit about, like, the, like the tiles and, like, where they are. Oh, they're just everywhere. Like, literally <laughs> everywhere. They're in, But, like, they're in super busy places, like, outside of the Holland Tunnel. Like, in the middle of the highway. In the middle of Times Square, places yeah. where, like, if you were to have to, like, go down on your hands and knees and do artwork, like, someone would notice you. Right. Like, for anybody who hasn't seen the documentary, these tiles are embedded in the pavement. And they're about, like, one square foot, you would say. Yeah, totally. Roughly. Yeah. Sometimes they change shape, but they're not, like... So it's something that if you're going to put down on the street, you would it would take a minute. Or, like, at the entrance of a tunnel. You would, right. Which would, right, like, exactly. It just, and that's part of the mystery. Like, how did this even happen with how are they nobody getting them there? Right, exactly. noticing them? And it's been 20 years. So just to break it down, Justin breaks down for us. This message is in four parts. Jillian, take it away. Okay. Number one, toy and bee idea. Yes. <laughs> so it is, according to Justin, which is which turns out to be true, it is almost definitely the historian and philosopher named Arnold Toynbee. Toynbee was known as a universal historian because he was not only a historian, but a uh, philosopher as well. So he would write books dealing with all of human history, the general sweeping arc of the history of the human species on the planet Earth. It must be exhausting to read like a paragraph of anything he has to say. About <laughs> Imagine anything. being like his wife. I don't. I feel like he's just one of those God blesses. This is like bless this mess. God bless this celibate mess of a person with just papers. And he's like, and another thing about philosophy. And everyone's like, girl, 
<laughs> I know, I know, I know. The human race, I get it. Right, yeah. So the second part is in the movie 2001, which is obviously a reference to the movie 2001 Space Odyssey by Stanley Kubrick. And uh, that was considered, when it came out, I mean, I think it was pretty much, as far as special effects and everything, pretty much the most spectacular movie that anybody had ever seen on the big screen. And, um, you know, I'm sure that it was a, uh, you know, some sort of a proto-religious experience for many people that saw it. Number three, resurrect dead. According to Justin, obviously (laughs) the idea that there will be a physical resurrection of the dead. Ginger. And then four on planet Jupiter. Guys, stay with us. It's going to get interesting, I promise. (laughs) promise. And then planet Jupiter, the uh, largest planet in the solar system by far and uh, is is a gas giant. Uh, It's mostly made out of gas. I don't think it has too much of a solid surface really. The other thing, now this is interesting. The, the other thing about these tiles is that they have these side texts. Side text seems like a, a phrase that's so far ahead of its time. Because <laughs> this movie came out in what, the early 2000s? Totally. It's like side right. text is like what you text when you're in a group text. Totally. And then like me and you text about how we're hating every moment of the group text. Like the, that's the side text. The thing about these side texts that's so interesting is that yeah. in Justin's pursuit of like trying to understand what is happening, he was saying that he would get like extra information. Sometimes there'd be tantalizing clues where one would say I'm only one man and when I caught a fatal disease they gloated over its death we see this claim on this tile I am only one man so all of a sudden we know more information we knew before that it's one man <laughs> can we just take a second to talk about the boy bird named Daisy well here here's what it says in my notes just in caps the bird stuff well this is Daisy and um, well Daisy got hit by a car or a bike or something Maybe he'll be able to use his legs again, but maybe not, yeah. And the only reason I even paid any attention is because the bird was named Daisy, which is my daughter's name. Of course. And But the bird is a boy. He's super handsome. <laughs> but also, like, was hit by a car and might not walk again, and Justin has him doing, like, this little physical therapy. Justin's trying to rehabilitate this bird. D- my heart grew three sizes that day. I know, but it's like, Justin, what, are you okay, girl? Is this his life? Yes. So I'm kind of trying to get him to do these balancing exercises where I just kind of push him off his feet and let him try to stand on his own a little bit. But he's he's really a handsome dude. <laughs> I don't know. I just want him to be okay. Justin, girl, call I us. know. Not to get, like, too deep into this, but, like, Justin and his brother grew up, like, raising pigeons. Well, um, fancy pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get it right, girl. Me and Justin's grandfather raised pigeons. Uh, fancy pigeons he had. And this whole thing was so weird to me that, like, the brother is explaining that they had, like, all different... He calls it the Noah's Ark of Pigeons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure does. We built a pigeon coop out in the uh, in the barn. So we had, like, the biggest amalgamation of different pigeons you could possibly imagine. Like, we had... It was, like, the Noah's Ark of Pigeons. We had two of, <laughs> or three of everything, and then they all started interbreeding because... Well, we just had no idea. <laughs> they had like two different kinds of pigeons and the pigeons were interbreeding. And I'm like, you guys, why is this important? But it was so crazy. I think it's important to show like what a kind person Justin is and like where he comes from. Because like he talks about that that boy pigeon named Daisy. Yeah. Who he is like trying to rehabilitate because he got hit by a car. And he's like, oh, I have him doing these little exercises. Like what a sweet person to take the time to do that. Like Justin. I get it. But it also like I do you get it, it. But you don't care. Well, the thing is like it does also show that they're they're all just a little off. They're all just a little off. You know what? The good kind of crazy. Thank God we're talking about the good kind of crazy on this podcast because it's true. It's right? true. That's yeah. like, like how harmless is that? Yeah, it's that, true. that's not going to end in somebody getting murdered or like drinking and driving. Like this is everyone's going to be okay. The pigeons will be okay. I I love me some good kind of crazy. All right, can we jump cut to winter two thousand? We must. I want to tell you that I think about this. All of the time. Here's the, here's this the thing. instance this specifically. Thing, this particular part of the movie. Really? Yeah. So the, we'll get into what happened in just a second. But like, this is what makes the movie so interesting to me is that Justin is a person who has found something that he is totally fascinated by, mm-hmm. and he keeps having these like near misses with like figuring it out. Tell the people what happens because this is so crazy. All right. It's winter in the year two thousand. I'm sorry. You're gonna have to do Warren Jeffs. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> it's winter to Justin goes to the mall for him to get a snack. And that's it. That's because this is too important, and it's something that like you think about often. 
All right. So Justin goes to the Wawa at 4 a.m. to get a snack. As boys are wont to do. At 4 a.m. Like, totally. I, like, <laughs> I, yes. On my way home, I see this mound. Just this black, shiny mound. It was tar paper imbued with tar. Oh, my God. This is this haunts me. And sees that there's a tile under it. It's so haunting. I pull up the edge of the tar paper, and sure enough, there's the edge of a Twain B idea tile. I just... <laughs> it was fresh as in a car had not hit it yet fresh. I'm sure that there was no fresh tile there when I went to the deli. This is, like, reenacted in the movie, which I think is actually done very effectively. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it was just put down. Like, it ha- he was like, it happened when I was in the mall. Oh, I'm my like, God. I cannot handle it. And so he's, it's like. crazy. So, but then, like, his description of what he does is kind of hilarious. If this were any other documentary, I'd be like, that never happened. I know, that I know, never, I know. It's I know. too perfect. That never it's happened. It's true. And you know I, Justin does not tell a lie. I totally believe all of Same. this. Same. And he, like, starts running up and down the <laughs> block. Screaming. Toya B! I believe you! <laughs> I thought, oh, man, you know. Uh, this person could be like with, on on the block or something, you know. So I, I leapt to my feet. I jog down the block, you know, to to the north, and I start shouting out, "Twin B idea, Twin B idea! I, I believe it! I believe the Twin B idea!" And then when he can't find the guy, what does he do? He goes back and hangs out with the tile, his words, not mine, and watches the sun come up. And then I went back and I just I hung out with the tile until seven in the morning, and. Uh, Watch the first sunrise on a new tile or something. He says at this point in the documentary, I could have solved it right there for all time if I had been 10 seconds earlier. Right. Yes, I came within minutes of solving the Twin B idea mystery for all time with my own two eyes because I missed the person putting down the tile within minutes. All right, so now between 2000 and 2005, the interest in the tiles is growing exponentially in the media and also uh, a little thing called the internet. So the internet is brand new. While I am like dial-upping pictures of Marky Mark in his tidy whiteies. Justin is at the Philadelphia... And also the Indigo Girls. They're just a constant. They will never stop. (laughs) Justin is like discovering the Philadelphia Public Library. Right. Which is like he's going to the library and like he find like he get he finds toyandbee.net. Right. Which is like he is sort of shocked to learn that he's not the first person to like have an interest in like be trying to like figure this out. Who else is involved and interested in trying to figure it out, I wonder? His friend Colin. Yeah. I love Colin. He has the hair that I would have died to have had when I was in high school. I have that Colin was skeptical, but he couldn't resist the mystery. Yeah, I was probably the most skeptical person involved in uh, uh, the detective work. I really thought we were just going to say, this is a black hole. You know, here, look at this crazy phenomenon that has absolutely no possible, you know, explanation that we could ever come to. And then we have Steve, the photographer. Yeah. Who's been interested for years. Every few years, I'd like sort of get into it and see what more had been found out. No one had solved it. It had been years. So I was like, all right, screw this. I texted you, like, how is this not the third season of Stranger Things? It like, needs to be. This needs to be a movie. Like, these ki- these kids yeah. are young and cur- And, like, it's like Justin is the optimist and Colin is the pessimist. Uh-huh. You cannot write I know. it. It's perfect. And they worked so well together. They have everything. I know. It's perfect. It's perfect. I love them. So the three of them decide to, like, pool their resources. And you know what's another, like, super pure thing? What? They could have, like, competed against each other. Totally. They didn't. They. It was it wasn't like a race to find it first. Totally. They were like, we, they, they acknowledged what everyone could bring to the table. Yeah. And they went to the goddamn library I together know. and figured it you out. You guys, they said the library in this thing uh, so many times. I I'm was like, we get it. They went to the library. I'm I know. obsessed with it. All right. So can we talk about the leads? Yeah. So let's talk about it. You guys, it's going to get theatery up in here. Believe it or not. I know. It's, I forgot about that part. So when we started researching the tiles, we really only had a, a very small number of clues to go on. We had uh, an address to a South Philadelphia home. We had an article from 1983 printed in the Philadelphia Inquirer. And then there was a play by playwright slash film director David Mamet. And these three sources were basically where we began our uh, quest to discover the identity of the Tyler. So we start with the first lead, which is the address in South Philadelphia. Jillian, take us through it. Okay. So this address was found on a tile in 
Chile. In Santiago, Chile. Let's really investigate this address because it's one of the very few, it's one of just one or two really actual concrete leads that we have. So what happens is they decide to like, Justin decides he's gonna make flyers and like go door to door. We went to Kinko's and made these flyers and decided that we would give them to everybody on the block. So then um, we just like instantly meet Franny. <laughs> One fellow named Franny uh, talked to us a lot and he filled us in as to who had been living in that specific house that was on the address uh, on the tile. Right. You know Franny is just on the street leaning up against his car all day long. <laughs> you guys, we're not making it up. This is a boy named Franny. <laughs> <laughs> and that for, accent where he's like, he lives on this block. <laughs> it's almost indecipherable, but I promise you it's English. It's just <laughs> the most insane Philly accent ever that I can't even handle. He tries to play with no tires, but no uh, rims with no tires. I don't know. I don't fucking know. He lives over here. He got old birds in his house. Goats, geese, things all over his house. Uh -huh. All Franny wants to do is help. But all I can do is look at him and be like, and oh, like, girl. take ecstasy and go to clubs. <laughs> He's wearing a mesh tank top. <laughs> it's he true. Might, every time he opens his mouth, I just hear, nts, nts, I know. Nts, nts. <laughs> like, that's who Franny is, you guys. Franny, like, sees an opportunity to be on camera. It takes every second. I love how almost every interview with him, not he's wearing the same exact thing, but it's in a different location. Like at one point, it's at a bar, clearly at one in the afternoon. Franny, I feel you, girl. And then he's just leaning up against cars. So here's the information. Oh, just calm down, girl, about Franny. <laughs> I love, I'm like fanning myself about Can Franny. Can we just know, put, just pause on the mesh tank top real quick? <laughs> so what he tells them, if you guys can't understand it through that insane accent that I promise you is English. I, you had to watch it with subtitles. I watch everything. But yes, with him, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> know, like what is happening? Anyway, so he tells them the person who lives in at that address that was found on the tile in Santiago, South America yeah. is named Sevi Verna. The fellow uh, living there now, they call Sevi uh, the Birdman. So then Franny also tells him about the person who lived there before Sevi. Mm -hmm. And his name was Railroad Joe. Real name, Julius Paroli. Yeah. <laughs> What's the matter? What's the matter? Yeah. What's the matter? The guy that lived in here, uh -huh. we only can account for like 30 years. We yeah. lived in the green thing. That was Railroad Joe. Railroad Joe had lived in that house into the late 80s, and he had worked for the railroad. So they go to the house, and this is like crazy. They're like, well, we, we can solve this right now. Like, let's just go to the house. And Justin is like, we got, like, Justin I know. in that moment is like, we're at the address. It has to be him. We're going to do it. Yep. And then there are two goddamn padlocks on the door. No one answered the door. And there's a, a bar put through the door with two padlocks on it. But then they realize that there are test tiles so all over the street. Since no one came to the door, uh, it's sort of a dead end, except for the fact that all around in the surrounding blocks are these sort of prototiles, test tiles, sort of test materials layered on top of each other. Random letters. Weird tiles, a couple in Spanish. The blocks around it are a testing ground for the tiles. And so I thought this person lived at this address at some point for sure. All right, so we put this to bed for a second. The next lead that we investigate is the 1983 newspaper article. Right. In the Philly Inquirer, March 13th, 1983. At some point, somebody on the internet mentioned this newspaper article it was such a weird thing that just like came out of nowhere basically the thing that you need to understand about this article is that the there's a person named james marasco who has this theory that includes all of the things that you see on the toy and b tiles and this is like in 1983 right so this is at the very beginning so justin knows that whoever this james marasco is is somehow connected to the tiles exactly there was a timeline put on this stuff for the first time where you're like, early 80s was when whoever it was first had this idea and really started to promote it. But now there was at least this potential name of James Morosco that was brought up into the fold. 
you want to take this lead number three because it's your boyfriend, David Mamet? Uh, yeah. So, okay. So lead three, the David Mamet play. And basically, this is a play called 4AM, which is like, it seems to me that there's two characters. There's like a like a late night talk show host, like radio talk show host, mm-hmm. and a caller. Yeah. And basically, the caller calls in with all of the same information. With this, the same theory from the article. Yeah. As, as you're going through the play and you're reading the transcript of the play, um, you think, wow, this is uncanny. I mean, this guy's calling up this this talk show host guy and he's talking about, okay, Arnold Toynbee, that's a little bit weird, you know? Oh, geez, he's talking about in the movie 2001? That, that's weird. And then he says, yes, we want to we want to resurrect the dead. And you think, whoa, that's crazy. And then the planet Jupiter, you're like, all right, this is, this is not no mere coincidence. But David Mamet insists that it wasn't based on anything. He made it all up. Yeah. Mamet insists the play is not based on a real caller. People used to ask me where I get my ideas, and I, and I would always say, I think of them. There was no call on the radio. I made it up. We'll come back to this. But, like, Justin looks at this and is like, there's clearly a connection here. And, and it just makes your head spin where you're like, what? Now we get to talk about suspects. Suspect one, you want to take it? Severino Verna. So so Sevi is the current resident of the home at the address on the tile in Santiago, Chile. Right. So that makes him the most obvious suspect. Right. And now, along with Franny, we meet Anna Marie Thompson and her dog. We didn't really know what to do other than try and talk to him. So we talked to uh, some of the people from his neighborhood who were very personable. Sevi goes nowhere. He just worries about his birds. <laughs> Sibby's a very guy, a very, very hard guy to talk to. I, I, I love Anna Marie. And the thing is, too, like, all the people in this neighborhood just want to be helpful. Like, to us, this guy, Sevy is like a phantom, but to the, they know this guy. And But they're also, like, concerned about him. Yes. Because, once again, Anna Marie is like, all he cares about is his birds. Right. Uh, he's hard to talk to. He's intelligent. He's quiet. And they're all sort of, like, understanding that it's hard to get in touch with Sevi. Like, everyone on the block gets it, but and they, they want to help our boys. They all think that they're the one that Sevi's going to answer the door for. Oh, did you knock on his door? Yeah, we, he knocked on his door. Say it, Frankie, and he wouldn't answer? Yeah, we've knocked on his door a bunch of times. I don't think he, he'll answer the door because he doesn't know us, you know? Yeah. I'll walk down with you knock on his door. Yeah. You know what Sevi's not going to answer to? <laughs> Sevi! <laughs> Sevi! <laughs> Sevi! Anna Marie takes her dog and her cigarette and goes to the door. That poor dog with <laughs> under one arm. I'm like, please don't drop that goddamn dog. Or else, like, I'm really enjoying this documentary. Do not make me hate it and you. You know that if she had to choose between the dog and the cigarette, she would totally pick the cigarette. I know. I'll take the dog. <laughs> when the filmmakers can't get him to come to the door, they call his mother. Oh, because his phone's been disconnected. I know. <laughs> you guys, get a clue. This guy does not want to be. He doesn't want to talk to you. So they get the mom on the phone. The mom tells them that Sevi has a lung condition, so he can't travel. There's like no way it's Sevi. There's no way it's Sevi. It's in Philadelphia, New York. It's all up and down the East Coast. And then it's also in South America. Like, do you know if he ever, has he been to South America or? Um, She said, there's no way he has anything to do with this. And I don't know what you're talking about. Um, He can't travel because he has a lung condition. He's like sick and just it it couldn't possibly be. And can you please just let him live? Franny, stop screaming and like throwing rocks at his window and trying to get his attention. Just shut up and let the man live. He has 18 padlocks on his door. I know. Franny, get back to the gay bar. And also, Sevi, like, I hope you're okay. So then we get suspect number two, Railroad Joe. Mm -hmm. Julius Paroli, a.k.a. This bitch. (laughs) You just knew it. Yeah. Who worked for the railroad. Right. But the map, so they, our boys get a map, right? Of yes. like what he worked on. When I heard the name Railroad Joe associated with that address and that he worked for Conrail Railroad, I went and found a Conrail map. Not only did Conrail pass through every city that had a tile in North America, but the tile stretch exactly as far as Conrail's roots travel. No further west and no further south. There's not a tile anywhere in the United States that the railroad didn't go to. Yeah. So there's also tiles in South America, mm-hmm. which you're like, oh, well, well that, doesn't, that doesn't follow, but it does. 
because in the early 70s, everyone sit down for a story. <laughs> just, you guys, this part isn't boring. Stay it's, for this part. Yeah. In the early 70s, there is this article about the largest telescope ever made at that point. Yeah. And bits of it were being shipped uh, one by one to Chile, South America. They were going through the rail yard that Railroad Joe worked at. At the time, the article mentions him by name. So we know that Railroad Joe like, was... was there in and involved in the shipping of this telescope to South to Santiago, Chile. And his family, what they do as a family business is they carve tombstones. Yeah. So one of our boys is like, is it a big leaf leap from carving tombstones to tiles? Not really. So you're like ding 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 ding. This is the guy, one hiccup. <sighs> he died in nineteen eighty seven. You need to find a way for him to be tiling beyond the grave. Short of resurrecting himself, um, it's difficult to make that argument. Suspect number three? James Marasco. All right, talk to us about James. JMO. Well, he's the one who was interviewed for that infamous Philly Inquirer article. Yeah. Saying everything that connects to the tiles, basically. And so they reached out to the journalist, Clark DeLeon, by email. I contacted Clark DeLeon via email, and I, I started to kind of get him talking about anything that he remembered about this caller that the caller might have said in addition to the basic message that he wrote about in the article. So the guys are trying to get any information that may not have been printed in the article. Like, what else do you remember that this guy could have told you right. that would be a clue that we could maybe help us? Like Something about his personality, maybe. Or, like, where he lived so we could try to find him. Right. The, the guys basically go to the phone book. They go back to the library, uh -huh. find an old phone book. Right. They find this one James Marasco who does not fit this profile at all. He, he lives, lives in like a super fancy part of Philly. Yeah. He, and he's too old. If you do, They did the math really quickly and they're like, in order for it to have been this guy, he would have had to been laying these tiles when he was in his 70s. The more we looked into James Marasco, uh, the less likely it seemed that he even existed. There's still this lingering question, you know, who's James Marasco? So in 2006, the boys get like a big break. Our boys. They're our boys. Our boys get yeah. a big break. Right. So they, what happens? So the Toynbee.net webmaster Bill O'Neill is like, girls, <laughs> I'm done. I don't care about these tiles anymore. So, I can't regulate this message board. No. So what he does is Bill O'Neill gives our boys access to hundreds of emails from 1999 to 2006. So we start going through the back the back catalog of all these emails. Most of it is just this endless array of people who believe that they've figured out the Toynbee tile message or they know what it's really all about. And it's ever, anything you can think of. It's funny because you see Justin, I love this moment too. Like you see this moment of Justin being like, no, there's an answer to this. Like th this is a person. This is a thing. This I is, love this that. This is actually real. I, we can solve this. Yeah. Ah, like who was, it's a person. Like it is someone yeah. somewhere. There are so many ghosts and phantoms and shadows to chase. But the tiles are a physical thing. They exist in physical reality. We're not dealing with the supernatural Somewhere there's a human being who's behind all of this. Okay, so can we get back on track real quick? Yes. And talk about the what I have ahead <laughs> of my notes, a mysterious broadcast. I know. One of the emails they get is from a guy named Joe Romando who has this like crazy, they say this like crazy story to tell about how like he was watching the news when he was a kid. And, the 11 p.m. news on Channel 3. Yeah, and all of a sudden like somebody broke in with like this this toy and bee message. We actually get modern day Joe Raimondo to tell us his story and, and he's is, screaming. Like the television newscasters talking and all of a sudden like they kind of faded out and then this voice comes in, you know? And and they said it real fast and then it and then there's like all this static and then it went away. Somebody hijacked the TV news and they're beaming this this um Toynbee idea thing at me. But this is another instance where I'm like, okay, this is another dead end. Mm -hmm. But then it turns out that the he calls the station and the station's like, we're getting calls left and right about this. And You're I'm not like, the only one. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I will take all my seats. <laughs> I have been wrong so many times. I know. Happily. I know. I know. The, the, the voice of the Torquemby Tyler is uh, apparently coming through his TV set. This is just fascinating. So how is, it, how is this happening? I mean, that's like some Twilight Zone thing, you know? 
I'm not crazy, you know. I definitely, I definitely heard this. So another person that they like another contact that they find through the emails is this guy Nathan. Meal. Should I get my my garbage bell? I think so. <laughs> Where is it? Oh, I can't find it. Oh, because we don't have one. <laughs> We're getting a garbage bell. Tell us about Nathan Meal. <laughs> so he wrote to the website saying that he met a, in all the air quotes, street prophet <laughs> at a Greyhound bus terminal in, in South Philly. <laughs> you guys, whatever picture you have in your heads, it's exactly what it probably was. <laughs> Apparently, the street prophet was handing out these flyers with the Toy and B message on them. And at the time, Nathan was 17. And he forgets the man's name. And it's all like very kind of vague. Steve Wynick decided he was going to track down this Nathan Mel guy because, you know, we were thinking, well, maybe he's got one of these pamphlets or something still. So now Nathan is saying, oh, Bill O'Neill, who was the owner of the Toynbee.net, who gave it to our boys, quote, very over optimistically interpreted his email. <laughs> Bitch. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> He was like, I never saw or met this guy. Here's what really happened. Other flyers were pasted around town and I heard about it. Nathan Mel told us the story. Oh, Bill O'Neill misquoted me. There was no street profit guy um, or whatever. I didn't meet a guy on the Greyhound bus or anything. What happened was in those days, in the early 80s, there were wheat pasted flyers all over the city with the Toynbee message on them. And then the pirate shortwave radio um, address you know so you can tune in so the thing that we learned from nathan is that there was a sh on that flyer that he saw there was a shortwave radio address where you could like it was like a frequency yeah that you could tune into to like if you wanted to learn more about this like toy and b thing right which makes sense because if he was if like frequencies were messing with local news yeah like that is a big connection for our boys right so i thought somebody in the shortwave world knows who these people were or who this person is so now we go to the shortwave radio convention you guys i can't not all we know is that they decide they have to find people from the 80s who were like a part of this like shortwave radio community and i have in all caps oh my god you guys there was a shortwave radio community well we're here at this at the shortwave radio convention in order to track down uh people who may remember the shortwave radio broadcasts from the 1980s Radio. Let me just say, our boys are the coolest people here. Uh, and if you guys know what these boys look like. They are the coolest and hippest. <laughs> right. And like they feel they are the like most adorable, sweet nerds. Even they're out of place. I was going to say, like, none of these boys have ever been kissed. And they are the coolest ones there. They're like, you guys. Meanwhile, this... I would totally kiss the ginger. <laughs> so. All right. Well, here's the thing. Let's talk about the schedule real quick. Because they went to a panel <laughs> called Radio Telepathy. By Harold Cones, a.k.a. Dr. X. He is literally wearing a tin <laughs> hat. They go a tinfoil hat. We found a schedule of events. Most of the discussions were just technical radio things that were way over our heads. But there was one thing that did sound interesting. So now what I'm going to do is conduct this paranormal experiment with you. I'm going to think of one of these cards, and then we're going to find out if my messages got out to you he has remember that scene in ghostbusters where it's like a couple of wavy lines he has those cards on I a know. projector yeah talking he's like what card am i thinking of yeah and every everyone in the room said a couple wavy lines because everyone is referencing <laughs> ghostbusters <laughs> dr x or whatever give me a break so all of you thought in my fine thinking apparatus that i was thinking about the wavy line that was the majority of the people well, I'll show you what I was thinking about. Wow. I was thinking, see, there's nothing here. That's, that's the, I was thinking of the wavy line. Maybe there's something to this. <laughs> Yeah, the boys are just sitting through this to like get to the Q&A. They're literally like, is this over yet? We I have, know, I we, know. Is it over? So they get to the Q&A part, and, and Sweet Ginger raises his hand and asks Justin. this question. <laughs> I apologize, it's kind of off the subject, but it's a mystery that we're trying to solve. Uh, somebody that's been creating sort of like an art piece or whatever that's somehow Arnold Toynbee's ideas in the movie 2001 would, uh, you know, people would be able to raise the dead on the planet Jupiter. They were doing shortwave radio broadcasts in the early 80s. What we were basically trying to do here is see if anybody remembered those shortwave broadcasts talking about this stuff. Crickets. 
<laughs> it's crickets. <laughs> it's totally crickets. And then there's like the one guy in the room that actually knows something who like on the sly turns around and is like, hey. And another thing where it's like you can't write it. It's the person sitting in I front know. of Justin I know, I know. who turns around and is like, hey, girl. Uh, somebody sitting in front of me turns around their little metal folding chair a little bit and, and like whispers to me, you know, hey, listen, I know some guys that probably know about what you're talking about. It's like some of the pirate guys, you know, just just catch up with me after it's over, right? A lot of this just goes nowhere. Like he goes upstairs and he sees like the secret room where they're doing like a secret frequency and nothing happens. But then they get called back downstairs where they meet. And this was spine chilling this moment. Oh, 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 yes. They, They meet this guy, John T. Arthur, who's like, I might have some information for you. So the boys start to explain to them like what they're doing there. And he is like, so the Toy and Bee guy asked me if I could use, if he could use my P.O. box as his mailing address. Yeah. You were saying you remembered something about that, the shortwave broadcast? Uh, well, they contacted me to use my post office box for a mail drop. That's exactly what you describe in the little flyer there. When did they contact you? Well, I was in school there between 81 and 83, so it was early 80s. Mm-hmm. Wow. And they're like, are you kidding? They, you guys, in whatever like secret language they had, you know they have one. <laughs> secret nerd language. They were like clutching each other <laughs> because they were, and this really is a big moment for them. Just being there in the flesh with someone who had had communication with the Toynbee Tyler. It was like everything comes together, everything clicks where you're just like, whoa, like, you know, uh, my, my head's spinning. Like, this is just crazy. But you guys, Convention. this is not even the biggest moment. It's not even the biggest moment. This is it's insane. It's not even. It's just started. And I'm like feeling for them so hard because you can see their their eyes, like everything. They're like, oh my I God, know. we're getting here. We're and getting so, here, they, we're getting so here. Sweet Ginger says to him, Sweet Weasley is like, do you, if, do you know, do you remember the guy's name? And he goes, John T. Arthur goes, I don't remember names, but maybe if you say a few, it'll jog my memory. Do you remember any of the names of the people that contacted you? If you could rattle off some names, it might jog my memory about... Severino, Sibby, Verna. Verna. Yeah. About that, first try. And John goes, Verna? Sevi Verna? Oh my he God. He finishes his I know, fucking name. I know. And he goes, how about that, first try? I... You guys, again. I got up and screamed. I've seen this documentary 25 times. I forgot that that happened. And I totally screamed too. We know conclusively who the Tyler was. Seven Varna, yeah. After the short wave radio convention, the boys have a round table to figure out like what they're going to do next. Mm-hmm. And what do they do? They go back to the Philly address. Yeah. Because it sort of all comes back to that. Because now they're like, it has to be Sevy. We have to go back there. And they meet. Um, More neighborhood locals. Well, one in particular. <laughs> Miss, Mr. Miss, Mr. Mm, well, we, they meet someone named George Arone, <laughs> Sevy's neighbor. She's a woman, I think. You guys, her name is George. Here's a man that no one sees. Here's a man that if he goes food shopping, he goes two, three o'clock in the morning. She has no teeth. <laughs> It's South Philly. I'm not just, I It's so, like, everything about this is so South Philly. Like, Franny's, I can't handle I that. A, I those know. accents, I can't. Anyway, George doesn't have any teeth. That's no judgment. That's a fact. There's no, I know. Real, there's nothing else for me to say. Like, George, she, George, George doesn't have any teeth. But George also says the same thing. We hear this over and over. Sevy keeps to himself. Sevy feeds yeah. the birds. Like, tuppence a bag. Like, Sevy chains the door. He just put, uh, about half inch plywood on the windows and nailed it into the window and uh like i say then he used to chain the door but then we also hear that like sevy the bottom of his car did not have a floorboard i'm sorry what he used to have a car one side of it was the floorboard was out of it i know that because one day i happened to look and i went oh my god you know I said, how could he drive it like that? It only had one seat on one side, I remember. And I looked and I said, man, I don't have no floorboard in his car. The thing is, the first time you hear it, you don't think anything of it. And you see our boys do a double take. I know. So the boys get hip to the idea that this is how he's dropping those tiles in the middle of the... Of the, of the like the entrance to the Holland Tunnel. Exactly. Or Times Square. 
immediately makes you think, well, that's how he's putting the Toynbee tiles down, as he's driving in his car, dropping the Toynbee tiles through this floorboardless <laughs> part of the car. No one would see a thing. I remember seeing that tile in the middle of the highway. I wondered, like, how did he do that? You're on the interstate. Uh, you drop a tile. You're at the entrance of the Holland Tunnel, and you drop a tile. You know, um, so you can put tiles in impossible locations. It's brilliant. It's. I guess the tar was connected to the tiles, and you would just yeah. go, and then the car behind you would run over would... it, and that's how it gets embedded into the. It's you guys. It's it's like it's insane. And this, like, if you're making a documentary, interview the people in the neighborhood. If he, they hadn't done that, they never would have heard that random right. tidbit, which completely puts this documentary over the top. Right. They solved it. And then they solved it. They did. And they're going to solve it even more. I know. Because then we go back to Ms. Franny and she's like. First of all, Ms. Franny got dressed up for this interview. She's wearing a white suit. See through a little, right? Yeah. At least in my memory of it. It's so <laughs> sure. mesh. It's, it's sure, mesh. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, she says she remembers a car with a really big antenna. <laughs> well, I remember there was a car up here with a big, big antenna. Uh -huh. With a real big antenna. He used to come over on the TV screen. Like he used to b come in with the TV back in the day. Like he used to come across like you would hear you're watching a TV show and you would hear somebody talking. And then the boys are like, oh, wait, so there's a car with no floorboard and a gigantic ant antenna. We just came back from the shortwave radio convention. Right. Maybe this is all related. So to make just to like drive it home, what's happening what Sevy was doing was before he did the tiles, he had this shortwave radio with this huge antenna where he would drive around to get his message out. He would drive around and interrupt the TV station. And people would like yell out their windows yeah. like, oh, there he is again, like messing with our local like 11 o'clock news. Exactly, exactly. And, but at the same time, it's like, why didn't you say that earlier when our boys came over and asked you about like any mysterious activity? Like <laughs> no one was like, well, there was that there was that car with no floorboards who was fucking with our local news. The weird there guy with was the birds that who triple padlocks his door for no reason. Had a he car did with do a that. And like no one thought to maybe mention that that was maybe a thing. Like nobody. I know. Too busy doing math. Probably <laughs> just real quickly. Franny doesn't know what an accordion is. <laughs> Franny doesn't know a lot of things. And he plays the organ, and then he plays the the thing, the accordion. The other thing, too, and I just, this made me laugh so hard. Franny was saying how, like, the da his dad would get so upset when the news would get interrupted by Sevy's car. And I was like... Yeah, Franny probably didn't have a nice home life. Franny, I don't really think that's what your dad was really all that upset about. Like, right. were you wearing... Probably your mesh tank tops. <laughs> which I think is horrible. Everyone no, accept your children. Too. It's like, awful and disgusting. But I'm, I'm not like, laughing about that, but it's like, Franny girl, like, I'm, you're okay now. I like, know. And maybe Franny's dad had the foresight to not take it out on Franny, but just to take it out on, like, the bird-catching weirdo with the big antenna on the car. You know what? Yell at the TV, parents. Yeah. Don't Scream yell at, at your kids. Totally. Like, let them wear whatever mesh they want. No I matter know. how out of date or ridiculous it Franny, is. call us if you're still alive. Franny I say girl. there's a 50-50 chance you're still with us. Oh my God, Franny. So what Frankie also says that we learn, which is very valuable and scary. <laughs> so Sevi used to play the organ and or accordion or whatever <laughs> until like all Frankie hours. Frankie does not know what the difference is. Doesn't it's fine. Yeah. Then it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, until like all hours. But then someone was able to like break all 18 padlocks and... <laughs> threaten Sevi at knife point in the middle of the night and be like, if you don't stop fucking playing that goddamn accordion or whatever the fuck, I'm going to kill you. And he plays that like three, four in the morning. And so the neighbor that lived next door to him was drunks and they broke into the back of his house. And while he was sleeping on the couch, they put a knife to his throat. People were pounding on his door, but because he was like scared of the outside world, he padlocked it. And so they had to kick it down. And yeah. then should you threaten someone at knife point? Maybe no. just like write a nice note at yeah. first or something <laughs> or just like come in a nicer way. But he everything around him was super exacerbating his anxiety. Right. And so the boys, they feel confident that they've solved it, that this guy is the guy who made the tiles. And then they have this sort of moral dilemma of like, so you solve the mystery, but like the guy who you solved the mystery about doesn't want it to be solved and he doesn't want to talk to you. Right. So like, what do you do? So Justin decides to write him a letter. It's, it's like they're- beautiful it's letter. It's beautiful. It's their last ditch attempt to like get Seve to be involved. Mr. Verna, I have so many questions for you. I have listened to the shortwave frequency listed on the flyers from so many years ago, but have never heard you. 
I want to make perfectly clear to you the immense amount of respect I have for you as a thinker, as a creative individual, and as someone who has persevered despite being ignored or mocked in the press in the early stages of your campaign. I sincerely admire you for your stalwart dedication and your innovation of a method of circumventing the media. Mr. Verna, if it is at all possible, we would love to have you tell the story of this unparalleled publicity campaign in your own words. You have my solemn word as someone who has followed your career. Um, but this letter that he writes years. is really beautiful. Because he relates to him so he much. He totally relates to him. He's he doesn't a loner, get a response. Likes birds. Yeah. But then, and this is the other thing that haunts me all the time too, is that the sort of the end of the documentary is Justin telling the story of getting on a city bus in South Philadelphia, and he sees Sevi, yeah. and he just knows it's him. Around the 700 or 800 block, which is in the neighborhood where the address on the Toynbee Thailand, South America, was was uh, listed or whatever. Um, I just I had an encounter with who I assumed to be the uh, Toynbee Tile culprit. And like he, like Sevi knows it's him in some weird Sevi way. Sevi knows like, it's Justin, and or like, like Sevi knows he's being watched, or like yeah. somewhat like Sevi knows that he's been recognized in some way. Yeah. We exited the bus at opposite sides. There was some extremely uncomfortable, um, you know, uh, glancing back and forth and eye contact and stuff. It was, you know, uh, uncomfortable and tense, but nothing was said. And But we definitely noticed each other. Which must be weird for a recluse to totally. have that feeling. And Justin just has to make that decision, like, am I going to talk to him? Am I not? And for Justin, who probably also has his own set of issues to deal with, you know, he does in his own brain decide that the right thing to do is just let him go his way mm -hmm. and I'm going to go my way and now this is over. Right. You can't force somebody to open up to you. You can't force somebody to decide that they're going to share things with you. I need to know when to let go. I had a moment of emotional and intellectual clarity about where I stood with the story. Let them go in peace on their way and I would go in peace in my way and that would be it. Oh girl, I'm sad. I'm sad that when I first... No, don't be sad. When we first conceived this podcast, this was like one of the ones I was really looking forward to talking about. So you're sad because it's, it's like the day after Christmas? Kind of. I felt that way about the Nancy Antonio one too, where I'm like, we're never going to get to talk oh, about this again. about it every time. I don't have time to hold your hand through every emotion that you have. It's going to be fine. We'll do it again next week. You'll All be right. okay. All right. Girl. I know. Black beauties and scotch. And <laughs> you guys, so much to tell you. Um, we have, first of all, stay tuned after this for the amazing outtakes. Our palate cleanser this week is going to be from Rent. Squatters, unite. <laughs> and also pay your rent. Benny was kind of right exactly sorry um our next episode is going to be uh beware the slender man <gasps> you guys i want you to know you can go to our website truecrimeobsessed.com and look at our calendar i've updated it with all like basically through march and in if you and also that might change right they, right it's subject to change if something cooler comes along but if you click into the date you can see where you can find the documentary it won't let me hyperlink I've tried and tried and tried I know it's super annoying my computer science husband couldn't figure it out either but you can see like if you can if you can find this for free I will tell you where you can find it for free um Jillian where can they find us truecrimeobsessed.com which you just <laughs> mentioned where can they find you at Jillian with a G on all the things all spelled out like that. And I'm at Patrick Hines on the Twitter and at Patrick Hines underscore on the Instagram if you want to see cute pictures of my kid. Oh, love it. And we'll see you next week. You guys review us on iTunes. I love you. Bye. Bye. The palest man, the blackest suit, bigger than the tallest brute. Fear the man, the slender man, for he can do what no one can. 
came upon a 12-year-old female. She appears to be stabbed. She appears to be what? Stabbed. Stabbed. Wire and Geyser are accused of stabbing the friend and leaving her for dead. Police say the suspects were inspired by a character on a website. Slenderman, a faceless ghoul. We never thought she could possibly believe that it was real. Anisha told me we had to. She said that he'd kill our families. She needed to prove that Slender Man existed and would be able to do that by killing somebody. You forget how much it sucks to be a kid. They don't know how to differentiate between fantasy and reality. People are captivated by Slender Man. That's what I call power. Believing the boogeyman isn't that hard, and they believe it was real. She lifts up her I'm always louder in every other podcast I'm on, except for this one. Yeah, I'm welcome screaming. to the update. <laughs> um. I love you for making a Harry Potter reference. Yeah, totally. What house are you? I'm Ravenclaw. Here's the thing, girl. Okay. I'm just like... All right, <laughs> fine. <laughs> God. So, he lives in a squad. He's like a squat full of like runaways. And like they just... It's like that place in my so-called life where Ricky has to go. Oh, after he gets yes. kicked out. And like Jordan's like, I know a place, Angela. And Ricky's and Angela's like, Ricky, you live here. It's <laughs> awesome. All right, let's take it from the top. Outing. <laughs> By the way, people are obsessed with Wawa. Oh, I know. And I just don't understand why. I know. Like, I know. All right. Wawa, what's the big deal? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know Julius Par- Julius Paroli answered his phone. What's yeah. the matter? What? What? <laughs> Where do I got to go? What's the matter? What is it now? God. That's just him 100% of the time. So... Franny would be like super fun to go out with for like 30 minutes because he'd buy all the drinks for the first 30 minutes and it would be awesome. And then like old Madonna would come on and he wouldn't know it and it would make me feel really old. Like he wouldn't know dress you up or like burning up or anything. And it would really annoy me. Where's the Lady Gaga? And I'd be like, bitch, you just heard it. It's called burning up. I used to have an escort that lived above us and she would wear her heels all hours of the night, which is almost <laughs> more obnoxious than music. Because music, you can at least get yeah. into the rhythm. Uh-huh. But six inch heels, girl, no. take them off. <laughs> Wait, can you Don't take- you want to rip your bra off and those spanks <laughs> and those heels and just get comfortable? Ugh. <laughs> uh. If you have a weird interest, there's a convention for it. Go to that convention and find your fucking people. Have we mentioned that Jillian and I are doing a panel together at BroadwayCon? <laughs> <laughs>
ramble about Ollie real quick. I know you love it. Well, yeah. So my pup Pete is on a diet. Poor thing. I know, but not <laughs> not really because he has Ollie now. You guys, we got a lot to tell you about Ollie. Let's go. Ollie puts dogs first with vet formulated recipes and fully transparent ingredients to give your dog the healthiest food possible. Right. So that means they make fresh meals for dogs with real ingredients that you guys, we can eat the ingredients. Oh my God. Yeah. And then they deliver it to your door on a regular schedule. They beat out store-bought dog food 10 to 1 on the palatability scale. Pete doesn't know he's on a diet. Right <laughs> And so these vet-formulated recipes, they're made with all natural ingredients, no preservatives, and they're sourced from U.S. family farms. You guys, go to myolly.com, answer a few questions about your dog, and they'll customize recipe to your dog and ship pre-portioned meals so your pup gets the perfect portion every time. I know, they address it to Pete. It's the cutest thing in the world. Do they really? Yes. (laughs) You guys, they've delivered 5 million meals and counting. Shipping is free, and if your dog doesn't love the meals, they have a money-back guarantee. Right, so Ollie is offering our listeners 60% off your first box plus a free bag of treats at myolly.com slash try slash TCO. This is the best deal they have available anywhere, you guys. Go to myolly.com slash try slash TCO for 60% off plus a free bag of treats. Right, and that's spelled myolly dot com slash try slash TCO. Go! Go! We love you. Love you, dogs. Bye. <laughs> 